Welcome to the Brett Boone Podcast as we explore the mind of former MLB All-Star, Silver Slugger, and Gold Glove winner Brett Boone as he sits down with his friends from the world of professional sports. On this episode of the Boone Podcast, Brett sits down with the skipper of the world champion Los Angeles Dodgers, Dave Roberts. All right, let's do this. And now, here's your host, Brett Boone. Welcome to the Boom Podcast. Today on the podcast, we got the skipper of the 2020 World Champion, LA Dodgers, Dave Roberts. David, thanks for coming on the show, man. Booty, uh, thank you for having me. I'm excited. I got my, uh, there you go, my dogs barking in the back. This is uh, uh, results of uh, 2020. Um, but no, man, I- I'm excited to be here. Uh, enjoyed my uh, winner, obviously. Uh, it, it took us so much to uh, get to the finish line, get across the finish line, but really uh, proud of our guys that uh, say that we're world champions in 2020. Yeah, pretty pretty damn awesome and a long time coming. You've got a real interesting story. Uh, you were born in Japan. Your dad was a Marine. Talk a little bit about uh, David Roberts growing up. Yeah, you know, it, it's, it's interesting. Um, you know, I was a guy that, Biracial family. My father, as you mentioned, Booney was a Marine, was a Marine uh, veteran for 30 years. Passed away a few years ago uh, with multiple myeloma. Uh, my mom, where he met her, was in Japan and didn't speak a lick of English. <laughs> and uh, so uh, ends up meeting her through a friend. And so as my sister and I grew up, we kind of were nomads. We lived somewhere for three years, then moved to another place. So getting to meet classmates, teammates. Uh, you had to be kind of willing and open. So that's kind of, I think, how I developed my personality. And my parents did a great job of kind of always doing things uh, out of season. So whether it was football, basketball, or baseball, it was a seamless transition. But uh, lived kind of all over the country. And you finally settled in San Diego when uh, I hear you're a hell of a football player. Talk to me about in <laughs> high school and, and, was, and actually had an, had an ago, opportunity. Yeah. You had an opportunity to go to the Air Force Academy. Tell me about that. So, yeah, you know, I, I did. I did. And it's funny is that uh, I was a senior class president uh, in high school and I gave my speech. And at that point in time, I was locked and loaded to go to the Air Force Academy. And um, I wanted to kind of do my dad proud. Uh, uh, football was my first passion, but, you know, it just really – the idea of serve, of going to an academy for college, uh, serving, you know, going into service for another five years to serve my commitment, I just didn't think that that was me. You know, I wanted to kind of get that college experience. I had already had an ACL reconstruction. So at that point in time, I basically called Fisher to Barry and said, hey, coach, uh, I'm going to bow out of my scholarship and I'm going to try my hand at baseball. So at that point in time, and you're talking uh, July, early August, um, where you're just, I'm just trying to figure out what to do. So I called my college coach, baseball coach, and we just started peddling myself to different colleges about baseball. And uh, fortunately, UCLA, Coach Adams at UCLA said, hey, we don't have any scholarship money. Uh, we'll get you into school. You've already got into UC Berkeley uh, so that we can get you into the UC system. So I went to UCLA as a recruited walk-on and um, didn't play my first year. And played all three, uh, every game my last three years. And so that kind of spun me from being an athlete who played baseball to being a person who really loved baseball and becoming a baseball player. And I 
yeah, I really don't approve of that choice of UCLA being a being a Trojan <laughs> over here. But you know, I'll I'll kind of let that go for now. So you get to your junior year, your forty seventh round pick, and I'm assuming you're kind of pissed, thinking I'm I'm higher than that. You end up foregoing the draft. You go back for your senior year, and uh, you end up getting picked in the twenty eighth round. You end up signing, leaving UCLA, and I've done a little research on you. David and uh, <laughs> you leave UCLA, which pretty pretty storied, you know, university, all time stolen base leader at UCLA. That's that's a pretty big thing, and you, you end up signing with the Tigers, and you know you start your minor league career. Go go through that a little bit with me. Yeah, no, and, and you nailed it. I, I was pissed. Um, you know, my you junior be. year, I, I felt <laughs> I performed well, um, and didn't get drafted, you know, it was 47th round and got offered a little bit of money. And, um, the next year I came back and had an even better year and signed for a whopping thousand dollars because I didn't have any leverage. So, um, but I was pissed. And I think for, for me, and I think you can relate is, you know, that's something that always stuck by me that so many teams, so many different rounds. Um, and I wanted to show these guys that I was considerably better than the round that I was drafted in. And so, you know, starting out, I was kind of always the fourth outfit and had to keep just pecking guys off, you know, and just outworking them, outperforming them when I did get the opportunity. And, you know, uh, five years in the minor leagues, I finally got my chance uh, after a trade uh, from the Tigers to the Indians and, and broke in the, the day, Booney, when uh, Wade Boggs uh, got his 3,000th hit. So the day that he hits it off, Chris Haney kisses home plate. That was my major league debut. So that's something even more special for me. And and we skipped over, but I, I another thing that I know pissed you off. Ninety six, you're playing on the co op team for Visalia, and I and I was yeah. looking through it. I'm like, do they even have the co op teams anymore? But that had to be kind of an experience. What is a co op team? Is a co op team where yeah, a bunch so- of minor leaguers from different organizations? play together it, it two organizations that's right that's right it was so it was us and the diamondbacks that they had just had a team they they just kind of formed a team you know just a year or two prior or whatever and so i had performed well in the in the florida state league and, and i was an all-star and so at that point in time when they tell me i'm going to make a lateral move and go to a co-op team i was going to take my stuff and go home and then uh you know and i think you can relate to this as well where i called my dad looking for a pity party yeah. and he said you want to come home then come home. And, uh, and so if he wants to play and show, prove yourself, then go stick it out. And so the one thing for me is that I got to come back to the West coast. And so family and friends could see me uh, in the California league. So that was a lot of fun for me. And actually I ended up getting called at double A that year and, and uh, sort of kind of made my ascension, but uh, that was just something else that just added fuel to my fire. Yeah, well, that's really cool when you tell, you know, I, I can picture myself having those those father-son talks and your dad is kind of giving you that, yeah, what are you going to complain about? I, I remember having them with my dad, you know, getting sent down and him going, well, what are you going to do about it? You're going to mope? You're going to cry? Are you going to, yeah, who cares? Who cares if it's right or wrong? You're being treated unfair. It's just the way it is, man. Man up, go do your job and make them call you back up. I remember those talks. So, so when you say that about your dad, when you said you wanted to pick up and go home, and he said, "All right, come on home." Well, wait, wait a minute, yeah. Dad. I want you to soothe me a little bit, you know. 
Yeah, uh, absolutely. And then I'll tell you this. Another thing is that even going back to the draft, when I got drafted, uh, I was really upset, obviously disappointed, angered. And uh, my old college roommate who uh, signed the year prior, and he came back um, for, you know, when, when you uh, play your short season, you come back in the fall for school, they finished up and I was upset. And he just said, you know what, let me tell you something. You get drafted late. If you don't want to sign, baseball is going to move on without you. And it was my old buddy, Ryan McGuire. And that just really hit me like a ton of bricks. Or you can go out there and perform because no matter what, the game is, is going to go on. No one's bigger than the game. Oh, I agree with that. So 99, you're talking about your debut. You get three knocks, you steal a bag, and you get picked off first game. How do you get picked off, yeah. David? You I got picked what? off twice in my life. Picked off? Is that right? Is that right? No, they they said you got picked off. I might have <laughs> the bag or something like that on the stolen base. So I think that might have been it. I was kind of getting greedy and try, we were, I think we had a good lead and and I think I overslid the bag and it called for a, called a, uh, as a pickoff because I know I didn't get picked off. That, that didn't happen very often, if at all. I wouldn't expect that of you. I read that and I was like, wait a minute, I only got picked yeah. off twice. And it was both I'm gonna, Pudge I'm going to go back and make that. That's a, that's a misprint, Boney. <laughs> yeah, get that, get that handle, would you? So skipping right. to, to 02, you f- you're finally at this point in, in 2002, you get your first real shot to play. Uh, you steal 45 bags. And, uh, you know, really your first opportunity to, to, you know, you got over 400 plate appearances for the first time, I think. And, yeah. uh, you know, you get to the, you get to the trade deadline and this is, you know, kind of what you're known for now, other than being a world champion, which you're being known for now before that it was that 2004 season in Boston where you're, you're a trade deadline guy. You kind of, do you go into, do you go into Boston that year thinking you have your role? Or uh, was was it lined up for you, or or did you go in and it just happened how it happened? That was that was a tough time, actually. You know, we were sitting in first place in Los Angeles. Um, loved where we where I was at. My wife was eight month eight months pregnant with my daughter, and we had already had a son at that point in time. And so I was kind of set. I didn't. I heard some rumblings of the trade, and you always hear it. All players hit at the deadline. And then I remember sitting at my home in La Costa at the time playing for the Dodgers against the Padres. So I was at home at my house and um, we just beat the Padres the night before. And then the deadline, it was one Oh five local time went past. I was like, man, they, we made it through the deadline. And then sure enough, Paul D. Podesta, the man, the general manager for the Dodgers calls that had been traded to the Red Sox. So that was not on my radar. Uh, it was, I'm not going to lie. There were some tears shed in the Roberts household at that point in time. Um, but, as I got there from Manny to David to Pedro, all these guys put their arms around me and I just felt like one of the brothers there. And that was great. And so the good thing that I learned from Terry Francona, which I've taken into my managing is he was up front. He knew I came from a first place team. I was a starter and he just told me right now, uh, you're going to be a fourth outfielder. We've got a stacked team. You're kind of a niche player and we're going to use you in certain roles. And that was it. So um, I just, you know, wanted to be a part of it. And uh, fortunately, I got the opportunity in that postseason to do my thing and uh, stole a big base that, that people say changed the momentum. And I was just lucky, Booney. You know, I had a great team, and, and uh, there was an opportunity to present itself, and I was ready for it. Well, I mean, you, you say, you know, you know, that's nice of you to say it was lucky, but 
But I talked to, you know, people ask me questions all the time. And obviously, stealing bases wasn't my forte. You know, I think my best year, I stole 17. And and those years, you know, when I stole double-digit base, it's like, because nobody pays attention to me. It's different when it, when you're a player right. like yourself, who people, you kind of have a mark on your back. And, and the real base yep. stealers are the ones when everybody's paying attention, you still run. You know, for, for Brett Boone to get it on first, I, I got to get that time and it's got to be high and I got to know he's got that high leg kick and I'm going to be, I got a lot of backdoor bags, you know, sure, <laughs> I tell, I play with Mike Cameron or Mark McElmore and I'd say, Hey, we get first and second, you got to give me a backdoor bag. You know, I got to pad my stats, but uh, I want to talk about that 2004 because the more I got into it and another thing I talk about, there's a couple things in this game through, through my career and, and you know, to where I am now that really stand out in the game of baseball. The first one is, is Madison Bumgarner's uh, performance in those, in those yep. Yep. LA, in those giant uh, championship, championship series. I've never seen a pitcher dominate like he did. So that's number one. Number two is that series in 2004, you guys were at game four. You're down three to the Yankees in the ALCS. And that's when it happens. Roberts comes in to run. They pick over three times. You steal the bag at the biggest time. Miller gets the hit. You end up winning that game. But it wasn't so much that. Is you, you come back and win four in a row. Then you go to the World Series and sweep. And it all started with that moment. Do you ever, at this stage of your life now, you know, different time in your life, do you look back and go, wow, that was bigger than I really knew at the time. But it, it, it kind of did. You were a part of kind of changing history. Yeah, I, I do. I, 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 you know, with, you know, you're talking about the Yankees, the Cubs, the Red Sox, the Dodgers, as far as generational over a century of a fan base. Um, I, I get that quite a bit from, from people that are affiliated that love the Red Sox and um, that, that relationship that we had, the players is still as strong today as it was then. Um, I do reflect a lot, Booney, and just go, it's just, it's just very surreal and funny stories that when I do watch highlights of it, which I don't watch very often, but it just seems like, uh, Cowboy Joe West, the umpire, called me safe at second base, who I know you know. Uh, it seems like the play keeps getting closer and closer every time I watch it. That I hope one day Cowboy doesn't call me out and, and uh, history would be changed. But uh, I, I just think for me, I look at it and I just feel so grateful that I was a part of it. And it's like, I know I was there, but when I watch footage, it just seems like it's an out-of-body experience. It's, it's the weirdest feeling. And to your Bumgarner point, um, just a player, a pitcher to carry a team on his back like he did in that World Series, in that postseason, let alone the World Series, just stuff that, you know, Bob Gibson or Koufax or, or guys like that Feller did back in the day. The modern day pitcher just doesn't do that. No, and we had uh, Boach on, on the podcast a few weeks ago, and he, he spoke to it. He said he's never seen anything like it. I remember watching that and going, all right, so Bob Garner's pitching. He's coming back on three days rest, and then he's going to come back on one day's rest. He comes in in the fifth. You know, you're figuring he's going to get a key lefty out or maybe work a couple outs. He finishes the game. And I remember just as a fan at that point watching, going, I've never seen anything like that. 
And uh, yeah, but that Red Sox is right up there. You don't come back in an ALCS and win four straight for the Yankees, especially during that time period when that rivalry was kind of at its peak. But uh, yeah, no, you don't. You don't. And and also, you can just feel the. And it took a special group of guys. I really believe that because when you're talking about the Red Sox and the history and a hundred and uh in 86 years and you know you get down 3-0 to those guys you know everyone is kind of it's dire and it's like here we go again the red sox and they're going to do it to us again and i remember a quick story as i was in the postseason going to sushi one night i think we might have lost uh you know the first game and whatever it was i was in the postseason and i was in boston so it wasn't that series might have been the other series and Hey, you guys came after, you guys got my great grandfather, you got my grandfather, you got my dad, and now the Red Sox are coming after me. You know, and it's just like that was the sentiment in, in New England. And so for us to kind of win that championship the way we did, I just really believe that it opened up and took a lot of the pressure off those Red Sox teams, you know, that, that came after us. Yeah, what a time. What a time that was. Those, man, that, those, those matchups, I still remember them. And that, that, Wow. Classic. Um, so jumping in 09, you retire and you go to work. You get a little work in the booth with the Red Sox. I think you did a pregame or postgame. Uh, and then the Padres opportunity comes up. How did, how did the Padres opportunity arise? And, and you started off being a first base coach for uh, Buddy Black's Padres. Yeah. So I, I did some uh, I did some uh, color for Jerry Remy, uh, he was ailing at the time. And so I was on the road, um, did the road games for the Red Sox, and, and Dennis Eckersley did color for the home games. And so I, I enjoyed it, but I knew enough and got enough of a taste that, real, that I realized that that's something I didn't want to do again. I wanted to be on the field um, with the players. And, you know, when you're with the media, you're, regardless of who you are, you're a little bit of an outsider. And, and so... Um, I did that. That was very short-lived. And then uh, I had a breakfast with Buddy Black uh, that following winter. Uh, He's a San Diego resident as well. And we just talked about my future and what potentially could happen. And, uh, you know, should I continue to do the broadcasting thing? Should I get into coaching? And we found a uh, a happy medium. And I got to be a special assistant with the the, uh, Padres. And Jed Hoyer was the then general manager. And so that allowed me to see kind of how the front office, the dynamics work there, uh, working with the big league team, do some evaluating, traveling uh, to see some minor league affiliates. And that year, Booney, was a year I went through cancer. And so one week on of, of, uh, of chemotherapy, then I would feel better the week following that. Then I would go out to some affiliates, watch some games at Petco Park, and then kind of go do that cycle. That was for six months. Um, so... I had a lot of support, got through that, clean bill of health now. And then the following year, uh, Buddy gave me that opportunity to be uh, his first base coach. And I coached with him uh, for five years and then got the opportunity uh, with the Dodgers. Yeah, because when Buddy Black, I think it was, was it 15 when they, Buddy got fired early in the year. That was in 15. That was in 15, correct, in the middle of 15. And I kind of remember at that time, it's kind of like, you know, is Roberts going to get the gig? And it almost like, no, they didn't give it to him. And, and, and looking back on that, does it feel like it kind of it's, you know, I'm sure at the time you, you'd have been, 
you'd welcome that that Padres job, but it, it's kind of like a blessing in disguise. It, it it turns out, yeah, you didn't get the managing gig for the Padres. The next thing you know, you're named manager of the LA Dodgers. That's pretty cool. Yeah, coming in on I think I, I think following Mattingly, right? Yeah, I, I did. And and the thing is, I think for me, it was one of those things where I just felt that my time was up and I wanted to move on. Um, I didn't get the opportunity to, to uh, interview, um, you know, following that 15 season or during that 15 season when they en- ended up uh, interim making Pat Murphy the interim manager. And at that point in time, I just felt that I needed to change scenery. And it's one of those things, Booney, where I think for me, I've lived that my whole life of just betting on yourself. Because at that point in time, I didn't have a job. And uh, I was at home in San Diego working for the Padres and felt that, you know, I had to go to my wife and say, you know, you know, for us to move on, this is kind of a nice situation. Uh, but she knew I wasn't happy with the Padres anymore. And uh, enough, another opportunity was going to present itself. And fortunately, uh, that Dodger opportunity following Mattingly uh, did present itself and uh, I couldn't be any happier. So, you, so in 16, you start, you won five division titles in a row. You've been the three World Series now. Last year, and when it finally all comes to fruition and, and you win the ring, it had to be an unbelievable feeling. But what was going through your mind last year? Did you feel added pressure because of all the success that you'd had with the Dodgers but, but never winning that, winning that big one? Did, what was David Roberts going through last year in that postseason? I can say I was. Um, I, I didn't give it uh, uh, that much life when I'm in the middle of things. Uh, you can feel it, but you just can't acknowledge it. But I will say that my first uh, emotion after we won the World Series was relief. And I didn't anticipate that. I really didn't. I thought it was going to be just, you know, there was the hands going up and the hugging. But then there was like a lot of relief. And that's from the buildup of expectations and you feel like, you know, the scrutiny and all that kind of stuff and, and, and pressure. And as an athlete, you really don't like to uh, acknowledge pressure. And I always tell my kids, pressure's only in tires. But if I look at my emotion afterwards and how I felt, yeah. And then shortly thereafter, there was just joy and elation. But yeah, when you're doing something and the ultimate goal is, uh, is to win a championship and, when, you know, when you manage the Dodgers or the Yankees, um, it's like, win or bust, win the World Series or bust. And you play this game for a long time, and winning a World Series is not easy. Um, it, it, you just run into a hot pitcher, as we talked about with Madison Bumgarner earlier, or a hot team, and, and you got to play good baseball. It's not like basketball or football where typically, most likely, the best team wins. I'll tell you, I was relieved for you, and I was watching that. And because I think, I think you, you made a great point. This game is so hard, and so many things have to go right. Obviously, you had the division titles. You've been to the World Series. You had a great team. But to win the, it, 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 whether it's fair or not, you said it right. I mean, I mean, you either win or go home or get fired or not get fired. It's not always fair, right. but this game is so hard, and, and, and it's – why it's such a big deal when you do 
win the whole thing. Cause sometimes the best, the best talent doesn't always win, but to see you win that last year with, with coming, coming so close so many times, I was kind of happy for you. And we know each other casually. We got to know each other a little, a little more recently, but, uh, you know, by no means we're, we're have we been hanging out for 20 years, but just watching you, I thought, wow, that's, that's pretty cool. He's been through a lot and to get to that point and finally get it. Uh, it was a really cool moment. Um, no, I, I appreciate that. And that's the thing is that, you know, you can look at, you know, there's always that age old argument of being a hall of fame or a great player. If this player doesn't, you know, win the super bowl or, or win the world series and, you know, none more familiar than Clayton Kershaw. And he's a first ballot Hall of Famer, but, you know, the first thing people go to is his postseason and, and lack of a championship. So now we can kind of put that to bed. And a great player is a great player. And when you're playing a team sport like baseball, there's a lot of variables that, you know, result in, you know, if you do or don't win a championship. What have you learned in the last five years that you didn't know or you thought you knew, but you didn't? I, I think that I've got a lot thicker skin uh, than I thought I had Um, because to do this job, you have to have thick skin and you can't take things personal, um, whether it from players and how they respond to things or how they play um, things that are said about you. I I think that you've got to have thicker skin and not take things personal. And I think that um, just continuing to, blend my eyes, my gut, the information, all that stuff together to ultimately make a decision. And, you know, as a manager, you, making not making the decision is still making a decision. And I go through it every day, every game, making so many decisions. But the great ones use a combo of all of it. And, and so I think that that comes with experience. And I think that, you know, the more you do that, the more experience you have. And you just mentioned Bochy uh, earlier. And, and for me, you know, he's one of the greatest of all time. Yeah. And I, and we talked to uh, Mike Sosha also a few weeks back on the Boone podcast. And, and he, he was a real interesting interview. Uh, you know, I'd played against Sosha for being in the American League West when I was in Seattle. We had a lot of battles with, with Anaheim. And I always respected him very much from afar, how he ran his ball clubs. He, he was big on running the bases right. And, and I always respected that about him. And I got to talking to him. And, and man, he was much deeper than I thought he was. He, he's kind of a blend of the, the old school. And, but he's been around, you know, in this analytical analytical age that we're in right now and and he kind of blended the two and he he started talking about micro and macro and it was actually really smart though i i was actually educated a little bit about our conversation but i think when you talk about gut i think you're right i think it's a it's a blend time's going to change and you got to change with the game but it but a lot of things still hold true that have been around for a hundred years is uh, you, you got to blend the, the today's technology. But when it comes to, to nut crunch in time, there's a gut and the great ones have it. And uh, you talked about that a little earlier on, on those decisions, because you're right. Not making a decision is making a decision, but That's at the right. end of the day, you've got to go in, sit in front of that mic and answer for, for what you do. And, and last year, everything went great. And it was, it was pretty awesome. Dave, tell me about the acquisition of Trevor Bauer. Wow, man, that's a big one. You know, you've got the number one free agent on the market. Um, you win and 
lose was starting pitching and uh, he was the best available. And, and so you got the Cy Young of 2020 available. And uh, Booney, this is a guy that grew up watching Dodger games with his dad in the bleachers, listening to Vin uh, with the headphones and not only dreaming to be a big leaguer, but to be a Los Angeles Dodger. So now you have a player that's motivated and happy to come home. So I know that I'm thrilled. And, you know, when you acquire a player like any player, any whether it's Mookie Betts or, or uh, Trevor Bauer, you do digging. And the thing that was across the board unified was his teammates all respected and liked him because the way he prepared and the way he competed. Yeah, there's been things that, uh, you know, he's verbalized on social media. But I think that when it comes to in between the lines and how he prepares, he's all about winning. So uh, he just made uh, us a lot better. He made me a lot better manager. I'll tell you, you guys are stacked. You almost have too much pitch. I mean, that's as deep a starting rotation as I've seen. Uh, you know, with with Bueller and Kershaw to yeah, Bauer. I I really I got a soft spot for this Urias kid. I saw him when I was yeah. uh, I was a special assistant with the A's, and I saw him on his 18th birthday pitching an A ball. And I and I watched him. It was the second or third inning, and I said, uh, "Who is this kid?" You know, tell me. And they told me how old he was. I said, "At all three levels that I've been to, you know this this." This year, A ball, double A, triple A. When you know, you know how it is. You did the gig when you go in for four days and and watch, um, you know, you, your affiliate. And I said, this is the best pitcher I've seen in the minor leagues this year. And he had just turned eighteen years old. He's an A ball, and now I see him last year closing it out for you. So uh, I got high hopes. Keep keep Arias on the straight and narrow. I want to see him kick ass because I'm always talking him up. I've been talking him up for years. Uh, that's great no he he's special he's special and uh man it, it's going to be a fun it's going to be a fun uh national league west with those padres making those you know making the moves they've made and with tatis really coming on the scene last year and and the big years out of all those guys it ought to be a fun uh west and and i wish you the best tell me a little bit before we go tell me a little bit about your winery red stitch winery yeah, it, it's something that, you know, Red Stitch Wine, uh, redstitchwine.com is our website. And uh, Rich Aurelia, a guy that you, I think, you played with in Seattle and played against for many years, Booney. And uh, he and I started a wine with our other friend, John Mysick. Um, and basically, it, it's a passion of mine. Um, I didn't know anything about wine uh, till I took a trip in 2000. Uh, when I was with the Dodgers with Sean Green and his wife and my wife, the four of us went to Napa and, you know, asked all those dumb questions and, you know, met winemakers and uh, proprietors that kind of answered them and, and welcomed us. And it just took all that pretense out of wine and the people that deal with wine. So it ended up being a passion of mine and ultimately started Red Stitch in 2007. We do Chardonnay, Pinot Noir, Cabernet, and it's a lot of fun. And uh, for me to, whether it's seeing my wine on a list or popping a bottle of Red Stitch uh, at home for dinner, it's great. And I think for me, it's one thing that was really telling is that our trip to Napa, I don't know if it was in 02 or 03, uh, my wife, Trisha, just looked at me at dinner one night and she says, man, you're just so present. And um, I ended up getting the nickname uh, from that group of Napa Dave. Because I think that with us, when you're in sports, it's just all consuming. 
And so when I'm around wine and food, I kind of can be present in that. And so that's nice for me that I could kind of have some type of reprieve from the world that I live in on the daily. So um, that's just something that I'm really proud of. And, um, you know, to see it distributed all, all over the country and to see people talking about the quality of our wine, it's a lot of fun. All right. Well, I want to thank you for coming on. I want to wish you the best in 2021. Uh, a lot of you guys getting ready for spring training right now. We're gonna have we're gonna have Aaron Boone coming on in a couple of weeks on the podcast. So uh, it's that time of year. I wish you the best. And what we do here on the Boone Podcast is we get a question from the fan, and to ask that question is none other than Dan Levy. Dan, hi Dave. Long time no chat. How are you? Um, Dan, I'm doing great. Thank you very much. All right. This question is from Dave in Pittsburgh, and he wants to know your best Magic Johnson story. Well, I, I think my best Magic Johnson story, you know, I was, you know, my father was a Laker fan. So I grew up, you know, listening to Chick Hearn, Stu Lance, uh, and uh, obviously with Magic and Cooper and all those guys, right? So I love the Lake Show, Pat Riley. So my first encounter with Magic was uh, at dinner when I became the manager of the Dodgers, and we had a back room in, in Morton's. And so I walk into Morton's, and uh, I see Magic. He stands up, and I'm telling you, I've never had this feeling where your just jaw drops to the ground, and you kind of get tongue-tied. And this is a man who's six foot nine in stature anyway, but he just seemed like he was bigger than the entire room. And so he's got that big showtime smile, smiles at me, introduces himself to me like he needed an introduction and stuck out his big right paw to shake my hand and wanted to welcome me to the family. And it's one of those things where, Magic Johnson knows who I am and knows my name and is engaging me and asked me to sit right next to him. And we've been friends ever since. And he's been one of my biggest supporters. So I don't have any kind of funny, you know, funny story. But for me, that story just encompasses who he is because he was so engaging. He was present and he was very welcoming and he is bigger than life. All right. Thank you so much for coming on the podcast. That was great. I love Magic Johnson. So that's a great story. Thank you so much for coming on. Yeah, absolutely. No, no, this was great. And uh, I know you got uh, Aaron coming on uh, the next episode. And my prediction is uh, Yankees Dodgers next year, 2021 World Series. Nice. <laughs> That'd be cool. That's going to be fun. It's going to be a fun one. You got it. Thanks, David. Mailbag. All right, Booney, you know that sound. It is time for the Brett Boone Mailbag. You ready to rock? You got it. Let's, Let's do, it. do it. All right, this one comes from Brian in Upland. Brett, would you have looked good in a Dodgers uniform? Brian, I would look good in any uniform. <laughs> I never thought about that. You know, at the end of my career, I thought maybe I'd finish as a Yankee because just I, I just the allure of Yankee Stadium and, and I love going to Manhattan. But I never thought about being a Dodger. Never even dawned on me. But I'm sure I'd have looked great. <laughs> All right. Let's go to the next one. All right, Brett. This one is from Ryan in Fort Myers. What is the best part of spring training? Leaving. <laughs> you know, 
no, I'll, I'll, I'll be serious for a second. Uh, when you're a young player, I remember when I was 21, 20, I could not wait to get to spring training. I could not wait to get to the workout, get to the ballpark every day. I couldn't wait to play in the games. As you get a little older and, you know, you, you get to be a veteran, you just can't wait for spring training to be over. Because, you know, first of all, nothing, ma- nothing counts, nothing matters. Uh, when you're young, it, it matters. You got to make an impression. You got to prove that you belong there, you know, especially before you're established. But as you get older, you, you just want to get your timing down, get to a point where you know you're ready to go. Uh, you know, you're ready to go for opening day and, and just get out of Dodge because you feel like uh, you're just wasting your time with, with reps that, that don't count. Ultimately, and, and when we say count, I mean flip over your bubblegum card. Your spring training stats are never on there. All right. And this last question is from Rachel in Cincinnati. When you played the game, did you ever go up against somebody that you were completely in awe of? No. Uh, never felt that way ever. I've, I've never been in awe. Uh, no. And I think it had to do with my childhood because I, I grew up in that atmosphere and uh, it kind of my childhood, I think, kind of spoiled me, you know, hanging around in the clubhouse with with Mike Schmidt, and Pete Rose and and Greg Luzinski. And then my dad went to Anaheim and I was hanging out with Reggie Jackson and, and Don Sutton and Rod Carew. Um, so when I got to the big leagues, although it is different being a kid versus being a player when this is your job. Uh, but as far as who I was playing against, no, I was never in awe of anybody. All right. Well, that is going to do it for the Brett Boone mailbag. Thank you, everybody who tweeted at him at the Boone 29. He's also on Facebook and Instagram. And in fact, Brett, we have a website now, don't we? I think we do. BrettBoonePodcast.com. Check it out. And that's where you can go to hear all the latest podcasts and all the fun stuff on everything that is Brett Boone. We want to thank Dave Roberts for jumping on the show with us. For the former MLB All-Star, Silver Slugger, and Golden Glover, he is Brett Boone. My name is Dan Levy. We'll do it again next time. See you, everybody.